I'm excited to share with you. Um, so I had two titles for this talk, but the first title I gave up on because it sounds negative, but here was the title, okay? But it's not the title, but here's what it was. It was that you can be right and still be wrong. But that sounded negative and I felt like you would be like, oh, this is kind of a downer. So we're not doing that, but that's a good title. So for those that like it, you can have it. It's just like a choose your adventure this morning, you know, since it's an 8 a.m. service. Um, but the, the other title is Truth Has a Way. Truth Has a Way. And I want us to investigate that declaration of identity and that declaration of such significance that Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. And uh, if you have ever felt like life is not deep and meaningful, if you've ever felt peace as hard to locate in life, if you've lacked joy, if you've ever lacked meaning and purpose, some of it might be connected to a misappropriation and a misunderstanding of what the truth actually is. Um, there's so much going on in culture. These are all preliminary comments that don't count against my sermon time, but there's so much about my truth, living my truth, and there's so much being said about truth. I wanna talk about truth today. Truth has a way. Truth has a way. So. A couple nights ago, I'm watching, I think I was flipping through the channels, which is a rare thing now, flipping through YouTube TV, and I think I landed on the Discovery Channel, and it was one of these uh, docu-series about um, people's, like, secret lives. It wasn't like the, twin, the, the, the Tinder swindler, is that how you say it, or whatever? Like, I watched, like, 10 minutes of that, and I was like, I don't know, this is creeping me out. But it was kind of one of those series, which is, they're so interesting. First of all, I love docu-series because we all think they're totally true, but I don't think they are, but we watch them as though they are, you know, so they're, they're semi-true, and um, I just got locked in for like 10 minutes. You know when you don't even know what you're watching, but you're like, I don't know what's going on here, but the music kind of got me, and I think this is like a woman who was married to a man who had like this other life, and come to find out he was, he was murdering people. And she was just like, thought she was married to like this normal man who was just a reasonably good husband. And I don't know why I'm locked in. Like, why do I care about like, this is probably not the healthiest content that a preacher should be watching. Uh, forget preacher. How about just Christian? You know, but I'm like, whoa, he's killing people. That's crazy. Um, like, I don't, that's not entertaining. You know, like this is, you know, I, I need therapy. So I'm watching this and I'm like, whoa. And, and then it cuts to the woman who was at one point married to this man who's now serving life in prison. And she said, uh, I will never forgive him, she said. Now I'm like locked in, like, oof. You know, and I want to be like, it, you're not hurting him. You're hurting yourself. Like, forgive him. You know, like I'm trying now, I'm like trying to help her. You know, I'm like, she need, I'm like Chelsea's walking by, you know, with a coffee. I'm like, she needs to forgive. You know, and Chelsea's like, what are you doing? You know? And she goes, I'll never forgive him. I can't do that. She goes, you know, the Bible says, and I leaned in like, wait, she won't forgive, but she's going to quote the Bible? She goes, the Bible says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. She goes, I'm a firm believer in that. I can never forgive him. And I, 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 Chell, 
Like, I wanted to discuss it with Chelsea. I'm like, did you hear that? She's like, what, babe? I'm like, this lady says, like, I don't even know, like, really the story. You know, this is so American of me. You know, like, this lady. Like, I, I know, like, six minutes of her life, you know? But I'm like, she said she won't forgive. She's like, oh, it happens. No, 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 but she just quoted the Bible. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, but she quoted the Bible, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, she said, babe. She just said the reason she won't forgive is because of the truth of the Bible. Because that sounds like Jesus. Do you remember that teaching Jesus did, Sermon on the Mount, where he goes, and remember, don't ever forgive. Remember that teaching, that whole section of teaching Jesus did in John 5 where he's like, don't ever, ever forgive. I'm not about forgiveness. I'm about retribution and revenge. No. Oh, no, that's right. The teachings of Jesus are the opposite of what this woman just quoted. But she says the reason she won't forgive is because of the Bible. I could make a case today standing in front of you here at this um, inadvertent 8 a.m. service we've decided to have. Next week will be like 8.30, but it's going to take a few weeks till it's an actual 9 a.m. service again. You know, let's be honest, okay? But here we are, and at this 8 a.m. service, I can make a pretty good case that the overwhelming theme of Scripture, other than the person of Jesus, is the concept of forgiveness. Like, like I could literally make a pretty, I could write a whole paper that hopefully you could turn in at a Bible college that someone would go, it's a, it's a solid paper, on what is the main theme, other than God himself, what's the main theme of the new covenant in the New Testament? I can make a really strong case that it's forgiveness. And yet this woman, who's still alive, living today, said, I will never forgive my ex-husband because the Bible says eye for eye tooth for tooth. Now we can laugh and chuckle, not at her, but just kind of at the misappropriation of scripture, which happens to all of us to an extent. But I would say that this woman is not alone. There is so much truth that exists today from scripture that is leading us to a very interesting posture and place. For instance, oftentimes we treat truth like a, how should I say, a commodity. We treat truth like an accessory instead of an essential. Truth becomes an accessory that we incorporate into pithy conversations that turn into platitudes. And so we have conversations about what we hold true but then the life that we practice can oftentimes be very different from that conversation. Meaning, we can be busy preserving life while propagating elitism amongst the living. Does that make sense? So we can say we protect life. For instance, none of you have done this, but back in the 80s, we used to, a lot of Christians, I never did, thank God my parents were, understood love, but they would picket abortion clinics. And in some cases, it got violent and physical. I want you to think about that. How does someone who's protecting human life compromise another? 
what's going on with the truth, right? So the truth can become, I'll never forgive because the Bible says. Whoa, 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 wait, wait. Yes, the Bible says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But wait a minute, what is going on with the truth? So here comes the title that we've removed so that none of us feel too bad. You can be right and still be very wrong. You can describe and explain the truth, but because there is no incarnation, because there is no lifestyle, that truth actually can play part in destruction, disillusionment, and deception. Now, I know this is weighty stuff for an 8 a.m. service, so come back for the 11 and we can process some more. I guess what I'm looking at is my own life. For I claim to walk in the truth and live by the truth, and yet oftentimes that truth emboldens me in a way that it completely overrides a major theme in Scripture like love or forgiveness. And in an effort to uphold the truth, we end up actually on a Monday, the truth we hold dear on a Sunday, on a Monday, it's hard to decipher or distinguish if we're much different than anybody else in culture and society. For we choose sides like everyone else, we're opinionated like everyone else, we don't listen well like everybody else, and social media is a platform where we define, describe, categorize, and, and belittle and berate fellow humans. Wait a minute. What has happened to the truth? So Jesus comes on the scene in John 14, and he says this statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here's what got me thinking. I'm watching this lady on the Discovery Channel, and I'm going, why are we so like that? I will never forgive him. And I thought, oh, she knows nothing of Scripture and Jesus. And she goes, for the Bible says. And I thought, She's using the Bible to say she'll never forgive. Now, I'm not saying what was done by her ex-husband is acceptable in any way, shape, or form. But I got good news. Even if you're a murderer, God forgives. I'm going to say it again. Even if you're a murderer, God forgives. And yet, she sits in a seat and says, there will be no forgiveness because of my truth, because of the truth of Scripture. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Now, here's where I got interested in this particular passage. I asked myself, is the order divine in the original language? Is the order divine? Because if the order is divine, then Jesus is telling us something about himself, that the way comes before the truth, and the truth comes before the life, right? There's other divine orders in scriptures, right? Like the Bible teaches that we're saved by grace, through faith, for good works. You get the works in front of the grace and you get religion. You get faith in front of grace and you get elitism. Grace is unearned, unmerited favor and forgiveness of God, which leads you to go, I'm divinely persuaded, which leads you to go, I'm gonna live a life that other people think is moral and abnormal, but for me, it's just love and relationship. Right? So that's what we're choosing. That's not the sermon today, but that's a good one. 
But there's another divine order, which is way, truth, and life. Jesus did not say, I'm the truth, then I'm the way. He said, I'm the way, then I'm the truth. That's why when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, come figure me out. He said, come follow me. But we're busy. Now, we're going to go there today, okay? So my guns are loaded. I've missed you guys. Every time we're together, I, I'm one of those preachers, like, I always got something to say. But if you give me, like, a few weeks, I got a lot to say. Because even a Discovery Channel, you know, interview with a sweet lady trying her best will get me going. We are busy going to study Jesus, but my question is, are we following him? The higher question is not, do you know about him? The better question and more significant question is, do you know him? So the goal is not Bible knowledge. The goal is knowing God. That's the goal of Scripture, It's to point you to Jesus. Now, I want to remind you something, that the people who knew the most about God are most responsible for crucifying Jesus. I can prove that to you. I can get you a paper for that too. You can turn it to your Bible college. You'll probably get a good grade. The men most knowledgeable in the Torah, quite literally had it memorized, are most responsible for instigating the crucifixion of Jesus, which of course we know, let me be clear, was not a tragedy. Jesus' life was not taken. He offered it up. But nonetheless, the statement is still true that the people that knew the most about the divine did not recognize the divine when he arrived. So we know that our nature, apart from the work of the spirit of Jesus, can actually, our treatment of the truth can oftentimes produce know-it-alls who don't know him at all. Everybody okay so far? <laughs> Some of you like, this, I brought a friend today, Judah, and they came early because they said they really, really like you know, how positive and nice and kind you are. I promise you, I'm just trying to help you with John 10, 10. Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. There's this concept in John 10 that's very important. Jesus does not just suggest he came to bring you life, ordinary life, just the ability for your heart to beat and your brain to work. He said, I want to give you the abundance of life, which is a depth of life, a richness of life, a contentment in life, a peace in life, a fulfillment in life, a satisfaction in life. I want to, and so here's my question. Why aren't we more content? Why aren't we more satisfied? Why aren't we more fulfilled? Why are Christians just as anxious as everybody else in 2022? Because I wonder if our relationship to the truth has been removed from the way. And because we're not in the way, the way we relate to the truth, quite frankly, is very different. See, the way you're relating to oxygen right now is very different than someone who's trying to summit Everest. Oxygen becomes life when you're in a certain way. Down here, you probably hadn't thought about your breath in quite some time. Isn't it amazing when the best instructions I've received from therapists and mental coaches and athletic coaches is when you're feeling worked up, be mindful of your breath. Take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out. Just focus on your breath. We 
treat truth not like oxygen. We treat it like jewelry. Truth is something that enhances life, when in reality, truth was meant to be life. Does that make sense? It's not something that you agree with mentally and then just kind of have it in your mental repertoire. It's something that changes the directions your toes head in. The only thing you truly believe is what eventually affects your toes and which way they direct. That's what you believe. In case you're wondering, what do I really believe? That's what you believe. That's what you believe. That's what has become truth to you. And so what I want to do is I'm going to make a couple observations here in the 8 a.m., <clears throat> I mean the 9 a.m., and then I'm going to make a couple observations in the 11 a.m. And today I have no intention of just giving you, um, uh, I love good preaching. And sometimes I love good preaching just because I love good preaching. Does that make sense? And, I, and it's not even just preaching. Preaching is supposed to be just about Jesus and people connecting with Jesus. But sometimes I just like sermonizing because sermonizing is fun and doing verbal presentations is exhilarating. But today, I, I really have no time to just sermonize you, preach you up, get you excited and make you feel better. I, I, I have an assignment that I think is very, very essential and necessary right now in where we are in human history. We have must understand that truth has a way about it. Truth has a way about it. Now, I want to underscore again for you. When asked about the truth, do you remember Herod says to Jesus, what is truth? Jesus says, I am. I am truth. Jesus is truth personified. So for those of us that worship Jesus or attempting to be little Jesus or like Jesus, Christian means little Christ, the, the, the idea, the concept behind Christian is being a little Jesus, that is to walk like him, to desire like him, to want like him, to talk like him, to care like him, to listen like him. It's that, that's the objective today. The objective today is not merely your worldview. Your objective today is how do you walk through the world you view? How are you walking through it? Not just how do you see it. Now, much has been made of worldview in the church. I'm 43, which means I'm old enough to know there are trends in the church. There was a trend not that long ago. I was a youth pastor when the trend hit, and it was this idea that the church needs to, to, to preach and teach a proper biblical worldview. And though I subscribe to that and think that's wonderful, I want to also again suggest that your worldview is only as pertinent and relevant as it relates to your world walking how you walk through the world that you view. So I appreciate your view. I'd rather watch your daily schedule in life. Everybody wants to tell me about their worldview. I'd like to know where your money goes because the Bible says your heart follows the money. Your money reveals your heart. Oftentimes your toes will direct themselves in the same flow as your money. Again, if Jesus is ultimate truth, then things like my cash will go in his direction. Right, right? I mean, we're just, you know, I, I pre, there's, there's three people who are like, at 8 a.m., I'm still down. This is wild, but I'm still down. I'm still down. I'm still down. So here's the two observations I'm going to make. Number one is very simple. Truth is a person. Truth is a person. 
more than a principle. Truth is a person more than a principle, which means something very important. More than truth just being seen or understood, truth quite literally is something you interact with. Something you interact with. Something you interact with. Has truth become a monument or is truth a man in your life? Is truth a collection of monuments and statues that you've labeled and that you show people to impress them what you know? Now, I'm getting all this content from me, just to be very clear. Like, where are you getting these metaphors from? Are there Christians you don't like? No, there's parts of me I don't like. This is coming from me because I laughed at the woman on Discovery Channel only to realize she is me. I will never forgive for the Bible says, oh, come on, that's that's a gross misappropriation of Scripture. How could you? And yet, I preach love, I speak love, and yet I can gossip just like the next guy. Wait a minute. (laughs) Why do I still want to physically harm someone in traffic? Because I'm busy getting to a conference or a studio to record sermons about loving people. This is just real. This is just honest. Why do I yell at other humans who oppose my sports teams. I mean, you know, it's just funny the trends and the habits we have. Truth is a person more than a principle. This, of course, keeps us from molding truth into convenient platitudes. Well, you know, God says, you know, the word says, if we can go to the the next screen, guys. Um, here's what I'm saying. Truth is to be related to, not just thought about. So here's my question before we go any further today. Do you have a relationship with the truth? Are you interacting with the truth? Is the truth changing you? Is the truth disagreeing with you? Or is your truth always in agreement with you. So what that is, is that's not necessarily true. Truth, by definition, is transcendent. Or is it just trend? When truth becomes trend, we have a deep, deep problem. Truth must be transcendent and must endure for generations. Jesus is truth. Ephesians 4.15 says this, speaking the truth in love with one another, right? So here's a little thought that I have for community dynamics. When dealing with the truth, when dealing with someone who you perceive isn't practicing the truth or understands the truth about relationship dynamics or moral dynamics or uh, engaging dynamics, whatever it might be, you might say to them, hey, I'm going to tell them the truth. I had a guy the other day, he's a pastor, and he's like, how do you disciple men of God? How do you disciple the men in your life? First of all, I was like, I don't even know how I disciple myself. That's a wild question. He's like, you don't really, you don't really, you know, church is about making real disciples. And I wanted to be like, and how do you know you're a real disciple? 
And who gives you the platform to be the disciple checker-upper of all people? We all just need to collectively calm down. You got a degree at a Bible college and a, been a pastor for a few years, and you feel like you're the guardian of all discipleship? Can we just relax and admit we're all just dudes? How you disciple men? You don't have them until you disciple them. And I thought, Lord, please help this man. I want to hurt him. Discipleship has so little to do with the Holy Spirit sometimes in our practices these days. Discipleship isn't messy anymore, and yet it always is. <laughs> Jesus had 12 disciples. We know that, right? Do you know one of them really, really screwed up? The other, the others, they seem to, everything tells us they cuss, they have attitude problems, they're racist. Yeah, I think a lot of people today in the discipleship thought would really not like Jesus' discipleship. Jesus, a quick question. How are you discipling these guys? Because they hate women and they hate children. So what are you going to do about it? I mean, right, and what we mean is how are you going to make sure everyone in your world fits a certain mold? So here's what's going to blow you away. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. Do you know that word truth in the original language? It would be better translated in the English as truthifying. Rather, speaking the truthifying in love. Speaking the truthifying in love will grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus. Truthifying. And what I, the reason I call it truth to find rather than truth is because truth has this stagnant, immovable, concrete, uh, kind of like statue concept. That's not the concept of truth in the New Testament. It's not a statue. It's a person. And truth is the process of truth to find. It's the process of walking. That your truth must always be in the way. That is, truth is truly realized when you walk. So when we speak the truth to each other, we are to do the same as Jesus. There is this concept that discipleship in its purest form is more than sitting down and telling someone. It's this, let's get up, put my arm around you, and I'm going to speak the truthifying with you in love. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to walk now together. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm, we're discipling each other by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're truthifying. We're walking. We're moving. And we're living together. Jesus said, I'm the way. I want to remind you. Jesus said, follow me. He turned around and walked away. It's the weirdest exchange Jesus probably had with almost anyone. Follow me. Is there any explanation? Nope. Are these guys qualified? Nope. Do they understand the Torah very well? Nope. Are they the spiritually elite? Absolutely not. Are they trained in other ways? Yes, having nothing to do with the Torah, the divine, or the synagogues whatsoever. These are very average dudes. And Jesus says, follow me, insinuating that we will figure it out on the way. 
We're going to learn on the way. We're going to grow on the way. We're going to discuss on the way. We're going to weep on the way. We're going to listen on the way. We're going to laugh on the way. It's going to be in the way. It's going to be in the way. Keep moving. Keep walking. Keep growing. This is why the scariest thing in the practice of the study of doctrine or theology is when you come to a place that you put a period where God always puts a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you ever talk to somebody who laughs at their old theology they used to believe, and yet the theology they now believe is like perfect and done and finished? And you're like, oh, you have another cycle coming very soon. <laughs> Like, we make fun of these things, but some of you are wearing hats in church. You know, there was a day, quite literally, some still today, who you, you, you would be either asked to take your hat off or dismissed from the congregation. You think that's funny. Now, you know, you got Shaddai over here. He's a licensed minister with a hat on, which obviously I can still say is unbiblical. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I almost preached in a beanie today. And we laugh like, that's ridiculous except there was a time where that was understood to be godly, holy, and honoring. You know how many preachers told me, if you were invited to the White House, would you dress up? How would you not come to God's house dressed up? You got jeans on, a t-shirt. You dress up more for the president than you would for God. Well, God saw me naked, bro. It's really, really different. That logic doesn't work. God knows my nakedness. So yeah, it doesn't matter. That means I can go to the White House naked? Or how does this logic work? This just doesn't add up, right? But these are the traditions of men. These are the, our attempts at good theology. And so there are some things today in this room that I hope 10, 15, 20 years or 10, 15, 20 months from now we'll laugh at. I hope at least. Maybe you don't, but I do. Because we are truthified. We are truthifying. What are we doing in church? We're truthifying. Truth is a person. It's not something you know about. It's the person you know. And guess what the process is? Becoming more like him. Not become. I have become like him. I am becoming. My relationship is not with truth as much as with truthifying Truth of is happening in my life. I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm having constant conversations where I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. I believe that. Now, obviously, there are foundations of doctrine. The Bible speaks of this, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. These firm essentials by which all belief systems are built upon, but this idea of understanding God as he relates to life on earth, there is so much to be learned on the way. And here's my suggestion before we get to one last observation. When we follow Jesus before we figure him out, we follow Jesus before we figure him out, then as we follow him, we understand and have a proper relationship with him, the truth, and it leads to life. 
Now, John 14 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But John 10.10 says, I don't just give life as the world gives. This isn't just active brain, active body, you know, your nervous system and your joints and ligaments and organs working. I, I want, I'm, I, the life I want to give you is a life of richness and depth and contentment and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I suggest again that I wonder if we're not experiencing the depth and abundance and richness and contentment and peace that Jesus offers is because we are busy putting the truth in front of the way. And a lot of times the truth in front of the way means you never go about the way. You just post about your truth. (laughs) The moment your truth is in the way, it'll change your truth. It'll make it more like Jesus. We treat the dynamics that Jesus teaches as if they are um, accessories to improve our journey. Jesus' teachings are what's essential to um, surviving and actually living. Right? So it's It's, it's, it's different. So, okay, I'm self-editing so I don't go too long because Chelsea's like, Judy, you've got to preach shorter. Thanks, my love of 22 years. Thank you very much. Second observation, truth is a person. So then by definition, truth is a union. The ancient mystics, many of who did not believe in God, believed that there was something magical that happened when the seen and the seer came together. When the one who sees you and you the same have a connection. This idea of union. Truth is a union. It's a coming together. Again, this is so important. There's this idea of interaction. This means, here's what I'm trying to say. Truth is the restoration of the walk in the garden. It is paradise restored. Now, Think about this for a moment. In in the Genesis 1 account, it says that when Adam and Eve had committed an act of self-will, they'd committed an act of their own making and their own desire, a selfish act, which by definition, it's the first introduction to this idea of sin. Sin is uh, sometimes misunderstood, but what sin means, it is missing the mark set by God. Now, why did God set a mark? He set a mark because he made us and he wired us and he knew what our joints, ligaments, hips, hips, lips, how we would get the fullness of life and the fullness of our existence. And so he wires us a certain way with a level of free will, but he says, trust me, this is the mark. And if we follow his path and we, we will experience an abundance of life. Sin, sin compromises the plan. It comp- We miss the mark. Then there's this idea of death because now we've got to pay the penalty. So the first time man sins, the Bible says God, before this, the Bible says God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden. So our first mention in a lot of ways of God's activity within the garden he had made was this walking which almost every scholar and theologian believes speaks to this idea that God wants to walk with his created beings, primarily the one being he shared his image with, the one being he shared his soul with. 
He wants to walk with you. This might sound strange to you, but truth, the highest value of truth is to be with it, not to know it. Is anybody following me? I'm not trying to be super spiritual. I'm trying to be honest. The highest thing you can do with truth is not memorize it and know it and use it in a conversation. It's to be in it and with it. That's the way God presents himself. I am truth. It is another invitation for relationship. And yet we have treated truth, again, as a platitude or a conversation piece or an accessory that adds to the dimension of our brilliance, our beauty, and our acceptability amongst friends. But truth is a union. Now this is interesting. Remember when Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is a Persian word. It's derived from a Persian word, which means a walled garden. When a Persian king wished to confer a very special honor on someone specifically dear to him, he made, a companion of, he made that person a companion of the garden, gave him the right to walk in the royal gardens with him in intimate companionship. So the garden is a portrait of home. We're going to go home someday. And you know how home is defined? It's a wall-defined, bordered, secure space where we can enjoy intimate conversation with God. Truth is not what we wield down here to be smarter than someone else and prove that's why we voted for who we voted for. We have used truth as a weapon on each other. Truth is a union with the one who is truth. And his invitation is now walk with me. So that we no longer run the risk of repeating ideas and concepts from Jesus apart from his attitude and his character. And now you start to wonder, a lot of us, how do you even speak the truth in love? And I've said this before, I don't think anyone has the right to tell anybody the truth until they establish that they're in love with that person. And the way you fall in love with humanity is you've got to fall in love with the union of truth first. You've got to fall in love with him. When you walk with him, it produces righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This is why I believe we are missing a depth of human existence that we so crave. But I think this is also how we can use the content of Jesus and we lack the character of Jesus. This is why we repeat his content, but behind it is envy and jealousy, and fear, and worry, and anxiety. So we want to speak truth, but instead that it should be steeped in a secure relationship with God that we know no matter what happens in this life, come life or death, we are secure, and he's in love with humanity. We speak these, this content of Jesus 
in ways because we are worried about our quality of life in our part of the world. And that's why people keep telling me, don't live in the city where there's violence. I got another text this week from somebody. I heard the shootings are up. Heard the killings are up in this part of the world that you're in. You should leave. What? How can we quote the scripture, go into all the world, particularly go where it is bleak? That is an overwhelming emphasis of this idea of mission, is that mission, you go where there is mission. For where it is dark, forgive me for my own platitude, the light shines its brightest. How have we taken the truth of Jesus' character and translated into escapism and moralism? Because we don't have a relationship with the truth. We simply study the truth. And if we're not careful, what we will hand to the next generation is not a man, simply a mentality. Here's the mentality. Do you know what they called us before they called us Christians? God didn't come up with the title Christians. You know that? God didn't author Christian. The first thing they called us, I'm not saying God authored this necessarily, except Jesus did say it, is that we were people of the way. That was our first title, and I think a much more accurate one. I think we all should be Christians. I got no problem with the title Christian, little Jesus, little Christ, because it actually insinuates union with him. But the first thing we were called, that's people of the way, because we were defined by the way we lived, not what we thought. Anybody with me? I'm not saying what you think don't matter, but it ultimately matters to the level of the way you live. And that's why in the next service, I want to talk to you about how really the truth is to be encountered far more than explained. And that's why Christians are busy online making comments and correcting theology when what they should be is making cookies for their neighbors. But we cooking up more comments on social media. You should be cooking up eggs and bacon for your neighbors. Yeah, for real, like the more spiritual thing very well could be taking over banana bread to your neighbors than correcting somebody's theology in the ends of the earth on Instagram. How do we get here? How have we become a caricature of who we really are? Are we not in the way? Is it not the way that has taught us? Are we not people who walk with him, work with him, and watch how he does it? Ha <laughs> ha. Come to me, Jesus says. Follow me, Jesus says. Rise, get up, let us be going, Jesus says. Are we not moving? Are we not going? This morning I listened to a voice memo, a church member who just moved to Arizona. 
And he sent me a voice memo and he says, I forgot to tell you we've had a big transition, Pastor. I will always love you, but we've moved to Arizona. And something inside of me says, it's good he's on the move. But all of my Bible school, they taught me, they said, when you build a local church, you got to make sure that your congregation stays in the city your church is in because the key to your church is the people in it. They all leave, then what will happen? And yet my whole perspective has changed. If you've got to go, you've got to go. Move with the one who's always moving. The greatest risk is not risking at all. The greatest risk is assuming that God has given you his final instructions. No, there is more to do. Jesus said, I am the way. I've got a way about me. I've got a walk about me. I've got a motion about me. I've got a movement about me. I've got, I've got somewhere for us to go. So come. And watch what I will make of your life. And there is no guarantee of security and safety other than the security and safety of our eternal soul. Some will live and some will die. But we will all be together someday very soon. But in the meantime, we move. In the meantime, we walk. In the meantime, we're in motion. In the meantime, we say, not our way, but your way and your will be done. Not our, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not teaching the next generation that the goal of their existence is that a good paying job and a wonderful retirement and a white picket fence and a dog named Louis Orspot. That's not what we believe. For we believe in the man born in the barn in Bethlehem who walked and talked and went to towns they said he couldn't go to and had meals with people he said they don't go to church and befriended people that he said they said aren't educated and informed and called 12 disciples that knew nothing of the Torah. Who is this Messiah? Who is this Jesus? He doesn't fit in your category. He doesn't fit in your political party. He doesn't fit, I'm telling you. He is the minister of a real messy life. But he's with you. I will not pass to the next generation of this church. And whoever the man or woman is that leads this community going forward in the years yet to come, I will not pass on to them a baton that was not handed to me by God, the baton of safety and security and simple mentality. No, I will pass on the baton of motion. I will pass on the baton of brokenness. I will pass on the baton of necessity and desperation. I've watched those documentaries about those guys summoning mountains, and you watch them, and the higher they get and the further they go, the more oxygen becomes a matter of life and death. Death. And no longer are they thinking about, I don't know, a new car. I, I don't know a new career. I don't know a new jacket or a new cupcake or a nice new donut. And I am for cars and jackets and cupcakes and donuts and basketball and football teams. But when you get to a point in your journey, oxygen becomes everything. And I think there's a place with Jesus when you're in the way with him that the things that everybody else takes for granted, you start savoring 
but the desperation within you and your journey requires it. It requires it. Why aren't we more desperate for Jesus? Why is Jesus a weekend event? That's one of the reasons we named this church, Church Home, because until Jesus invades our home and our Monday and our Tuesday and our Wednesday, what does our Sunday ceremony matter? And yet knowledge has oftentimes become the supreme summit of our belief system. Jesus wants to walk with broken vessels who aren't totally sure of the next step, but they're sure of the one who's guiding it. When were your plans last changed? When was your theology last troubled? When were you last wondering, do I really know this? Come on. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, though I walk, though I walk, though I walk, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. They, they comfort me. They, they comfort me. I know what I'll do. I won't move in hopes that I won't go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he said, I'll be there. And I have come to the conclusion that wherever he is, is the best case scenario for me. That's where I want to be. You'll comfort me with your rod and your staff. And, 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 and the staff is for the sheep and the, the rod is for the enemy, which means he'll protect you and provide for you at the same time. And then he says, and you will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I end with this. And if you want to stick around for the 11 a.m., which is really the 10 a.m., you're more than welcome to. John 10, 10 says this. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. It occurs to me that the enemy has three assignments, and Jesus gives us three in John 10. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I wonder... Just my thought, just my opinion, I can't necessarily, utterly, and entirely prove it, but I don't think it's happenstance that the enemy tries to kill, excuse me, steal the way, kill the truth, and destroy life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I've looked up both orders, and both are intentionally in that order, even in the translation. I wonder if the enemy is busy trying to steal the way. He doesn't want you in the way. He doesn't want you on the way. He doesn't want you with Jesus in the way. So if he can remove the way, maybe he can kill truth. 
And ultimately, he can rob you of contentment and fulfillment and depth and richness of life that only the presence and person of Jesus offers. See, what I am trying to prepare you for is the rest of this life. For there are no guarantees, my brothers and sisters. I cannot stand here in your pastor and tell you that these wars and rumors of wars will only lead to peace and they will be done and they will be soon, soon done. I can't tell you that. I can't promise that. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are pestilence and diseases, ones that we just came out of the greatest modern pandemic in human history, and yet here we are, and yet here we are, and yet here we are. So where are the believers with abundant life? Where are the believers who are secure and confident because they're in union with Jesus, walking with him and working with him. Where is those who say life is painful and life is tragic and life is messy and life doesn't make sense and I'll have an answer for everything, but boy, do I got a peace. Do I have an assurance? Do I have a confidence? Do I have a contentment that is by definition illogical and not subject to mere human global conditions? And that's why I go back to the first Christians and I read about them and I go, who are you? Why do thousands of you Christians run towards the black plague and die in the process? Why was it the Christians that started to build the hospice, the hospitals? Why were we the ones caring for the sick and the broken? Who were those people back there? And do they know something or someone? Maybe we don't. So what are we doing? Are we here seeking comfort as the world defines? Or are we here seeking him? Lead, Father. Speak. Father, for your servants listening. Isn't that what Eli said to Samuel? You remember the story? I'm done. I'm done preaching. I'm done. Amanda Cook is going to come on stage very soon. Samuel came back the third time. He said, Pastor, you called me. He said, I didn't call. <gasps> Samuel, it's God. Next time he calls, I don't want you to ask him who to vote for. I want you to say this. Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening, which means this. Speak, for your wish and your words are my command. I don't know who I'm talking to, but there are some people here God is making a move in and through you. And you came today wondering, is this idea of movement, adjustment, and change from me or God? I am persuaded up under the sense of his presence on this platform that there are many people in this room or watching online. God is moving you. And, and lastly, there's Amanda. So we are, where is Amanda? There she is. Okay, so we're done. Do you remember when God called Abraham? Do you remember? And it says this about his journey. And God 
called him. And Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Because it wasn't where he was going as much as it was who he was going with. We've made so much about where. Seattle, Denver, where? It's who. It's who you're going with. And as long as you got the who right, the where, you can do this anywhere. You can do what God calls you to do anywhere. You hear me? In any conditions, in any circumstance, in any situation. For those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits. For if he is with you, come hell or high water, no weapon formed against you will prosper. No matter what comes against you, for you are with him. So let us walk with him. Let us worship him. Let us seek him. He is the bastion of all knowledge and truth. He is the ultimate revelation and enlightenment. He is the realization of the ages. He is truth personified. He said to Herod, Herod said, what is truth? He said, sir, you're looking at it. I am truth. I am the truest thing. I am the truest entity. I am the truest thought. I am the truest idea. It's me. So let us worship truth. Let us honor truth. Let us submit to truth. Let us yield to truth. So I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. The team's here. We're going to sing together. We're going to know him. And we know him, but if you're here and you're watching online or you're here in the auditorium and you'd like to say, Judah, I want union with Jesus. Judah, I receive that Jesus is the definition and description of truth. I believe that he is the highest truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through him. I want to receive Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to work with Jesus. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want the forgiveness for my sins that only Jesus offers. For he who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus wherever you are in the world or here in the auditorium on the count of three if you'd like to receive Jesus. Become a person of the way. Become a Christian. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh God of heaven and earth, Wonderful God who has revealed himself fully and completely in you, Jesus. We thank you for your saving power, your miracle power. You, the way. We accept you. We receive you. We believe in you. We acknowledge you. And we love you. Jesus, 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 Jesus.